Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration and collaboration creates community and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. So today's podcast is with Kelly Ernst. He's from the Strategic Intelligence Alliance. He's a consultant who works in fund development, monitoring and evaluation, strategic development, but he's also now the Secretary General for the Basic Income Network for Canada, which is basically about basically about uh, getting people a basic income. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's about reducing poverty. It's about eradicating poverty here in Canada. And listen in today as Kelly talks about why this is so important and why he thinks it's actually very affordable. It's uh, it's an interesting and intelligent interview with a guy who cares a great deal about poverty here in Canada. And please don't forget to check out my site, davidpecklive.com. Real Change is Incremental is now available on Amazon.ca, and we'll see you next week. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and uh, we've got a nice uh, sunny day here, well, sort of sunny day here in Toronto, and I'm joined uh, by Kelly Ernst, our guest from uh, Basic Income Canada. Thanks for joining us today, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Oh, you, you it's been a little while coming, getting this sorted out, so uh, I apologize for that. But uh, Kelly is the Secretary General for the Basic Income Canada Network. Kelly, it sounds pretty pretty impressive, your title. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what that means for you and, and what you're doing for the Basic Income Network? And maybe, you know what, if you want to wrap up in, in that uh, answer, why don't you talk a little bit about what 
the heck basic income really is. We have had Rob Rainer on before, uh, yeah. and he's talked about this a little bit in the past, but a refresher wouldn't hurt. Okay. Well, our organization is devoted to um, getting the public to um, have a thirst for a guaranteed annual income. So the whole idea behind a, a basic income or a, a guaranteed annual income is that all Canadians would be guaranteed never to go below a floor of income that would pay for your um, living expenses such as rent, food, clothing, and, and other basics. Right. Um, so um, a lot of people call that um, floor level, um, a low-income cutoff or a market basket measure. There's lots of different names and, and ways to identify that floor. Um, but the whole idea is to pay for the necessities of life so that um, you, you can uh, um, pursue the things that you want to do in, in life uh, without the worry of where's your next meal coming from or so, am I going to pay my rent? So in a way, it's kind of providing a certain amount of infrastructure for families or individuals to, to get to the things that are going to help them move forward in their life, whether it's education or uh, child care or starting their own business, that kind of thing? Yes, um, exactly. Um, and and um, the, the idea behind it is, as well is as you look into it more deeply is um, very often people say, oh, well, you, you just want to give everybody a welfare check. And actually, no, we don't. What we'd like to do is um, completely reform that whole system so that um, governments are not gatekeepers of people's income, but rather that governments, in a proactive way, ensure that never, nobody ever falls below a floor of income. Um, that doesn't mean that we would do it in such a way that we would um, uh, put barriers in, in front of people to pursue work, go find education, start a business, and so on and so forth. And in fact, the studies that, that I've seen on this say that a basic income would help in all of those areas. Hmm. So, Kelly, how help, I mean, help me and I guess the listeners understand, how is basic income not just welfare? Well, the welfare is the way it's set up now in Canada. You have 13 different jurisdictions handing out income security checks in a number of different programs within their jurisdictions, mm -hmm. but you have to meet qualifications to get it. So the idea is, well, we'll give you a little bit of money. It's not enough to fully live on. Um, but we're going to put you through all of these qualifi qualifications right. to, in, to make sure that you meet the qualifications so that, you know, we, we dole out as little as possible. So basically, welfare sort of has these, uh, it's almost like tied aid in a sense. Yeah, well, a lot of people call it the welfare trap. Yeah, so you, know, you, you get people in, into that system, they've qualified to be in the system, but now the only way that they can obtain any income is if they meet all of these criteria and continue to meet those criteria. And if they start falling outside of it, you start taking away their income. And so what it does is it motivates people to never get out of that, that system. So what we would like to do is totally reform the whole way of looking at this and say in a, a, a totally different way 
let's proactively ensure, rather than act as a gatekeeper, ensure that everybody in Canada never goes before below a floor of income so that they can pay for the necessities of life. Um, and that is a totally different way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I guess if you think of it that way, there's different ways of doing it. So there's different mechanisms for that. One of them is, is called a negative income tax. So what that would allow people to do is is they go off and they work or pursue income in, in whatever means they they can get. And um, and if their income is below a certain threshold, they would get a tax refund to top them up to ensure that they don't go below that, that threshold. Um, now, in a negative income tax scenario, um, if you were earning, say, $100,000 a year, like, you know, huge amounts of money, even beyond that, um, of course, you wouldn't qualify for a basic income. Right. Um, but you have the equivalent and far beyond, so, you know, why do you need it? So, so uh, another method is um, the, it's called the demigrant method, where every Canadian gets a grant. And so that grant is the same for every single person. Everybody gets it. And then when you put in your taxes at the end of the year, you might get some of that tax back, right. or if you're earning a huge amount of money, you get all of it taxed back. Right. Um, so, so in in the same way, the end result might be actually pretty similar, um, but the method to deliver it is is just very different. Um, in um, Alaska, um, in the United States, is one state that actually has a demigrant, and it's based on in- income from royalties that they give out to their population. So in Alaska, as long as you stay out of jail and um, you're um, uh, a citizen of Alaska, you you can get this um, guaranteed annual income every year. Now, it's small. It's um, I think at most it's ever been is about $2,000 per person. But if you think of that on a basis of a family, so say a family of five, that's 10000 a year that goes to your family. Um, and then that becomes substantial amounts of money that really help to ensure that you're not, you know, falling below a floor and that you can pay for your rent and so on and so forth. The interesting thing about Alaska is they have in the United States one of the lowest poverty levels in the U.S. and the highest levels of employment as well. So um, it's fairly clear from using that model that it, it doesn't erode people's, you know, motivation to go to work. Right. Yeah. Cause I would imagine that's a pretty, uh, kind of an immediate criticism. I'm pretty sure I read, I, I, I brought this up with Rob. I do a lot of work in international development and overseas and so on. And I know that one of the criticisms from, you know, the sort of the more fiscally conservative folk, I suppose, who want to talk about individualism and, 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 uh, you know, um, the ability to raise ourselves out of poverty and floating all boats and so on. Yeah. Um, they'll say, well, you know, people in the, in the developing world, you know, uh, they're, they're afraid to work or they're, they're lazy or, you know, and, and, and quite the contrary. Um, you yeah, know, there, it, there's actually a really interesting study going on in a, in India at the moment, in a basic income trial. So in India, there's a trial going on using a basic income in, in a few towns, and they found exactly the opposite. Yeah, so yeah. The data is actually showing that Absolutely. what a basic income is doing, yes, it's helping to pay for their food and clothing, but, but people are pooling money together and actually 
creating businesses and opportunities for themselves or they're buying equipment for themselves and starting their own businesses. And, and it, it's motivating people to actually pursue their dreams. Two th- um, I, I recently interviewed Nigel Fisher, and he was the he ran UNICEF for years. He he was the uh, secretary, uh, assistant secretary general in Haiti and Syria and Rwanda. I mean, he's been around, and he yeah. said after I don't know thirty eight years of working in humanitarian affairs, two things that are consistent across the board when you speak to people around the world. One, we want jobs. We need opportunities to get work, fair work, interesting work, and two, we want to educate our children. That yeah. doesn't sound like people are, are um, we want to, sorry, we want a good education for our children. And yeah. that doesn't sound like lazy folk to me. And, and when I travel, what I see are these, these, all these little businesses and people just trying to make a go of it in, in whatever way they can, uh, with whatever resources they have. And, 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 and like you say, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's completely the opposite of what you might sort of, that, that, that um, cliche that you might fall into. Yeah, it's a huge stereotype that needs huge. to be broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, and th- and and really, there's no basis for that stereotype. You you can even look in Canada. You don't have to go internationally to you know understand how motivated people are to pursue things in their lives. Eighty-eight percent of or to ninety percent of Canadians already earn above the threshold of what might be a basic income. Mm. And they continue to work, even right. even when <laughs> that's a great they're point. making millions of dollars. <laughs> people are continuing yeah. to motivated to work. Yeah. So it, it really make, their yeah. argument really falls apart when you start looking at people making money. And when people start making a little bit, they actually become more motivated. Well, and the fact is, I mean, the reality is people are always going to look for ways of scamming the system, and no matter who they are, no matter what culture you live in, that's just going to happen, right? Yeah. There's the flim-flam men and women exist all over the world. But that's not a reason for not doing something that actually is going to enhance the greater good. No, and the other thing about this, the scammers of the world, I think that's a totally different issue. So basic income and income support and the scammers of the world, are, they're totally different. So, so we have, have seen in the last five years scammers at the millionaire level. So all we need yeah. to do is go back to the economic downturn and, and, and look at the, the scammers that you know, have been charged. Some of them are now in jail. Those weren't poor people. Those were rich people. So it existed at every level. And so there needs to be a level of accountability um, on the populace on every level and, and not just focused in on, oh, it's the poor that are scammers. Right. That just isn't the case. Well, and There's doesn't... Scammers does, everywhere. Well, you know, it's an interesting thought, you know, and, and I wonder if we could explore this a bit. Tell me if it's even worth uh, talking about, but I've never really considered the notion that... So, so um, I mean, the free market, this whole idea of individualism, you know, this whole idea of self-creation uh, and, and empowerment and so on, isn't that based on the notion that we all have it within us? You know, well, yeah. We all have a, this ability, right? So why we all is have it? This, we all have, have this ability. Um, there's an old book um, that, if people are interested in, in this idea, it's called Man's Search for Meaning. Right, Viktor Frankl. Yeah, Viktor Frankl. Um, and when you read that book, you, act, you start understanding the psychological aspect of everybody wanting to have meaning in their life and pursue opportunity, even in the most horrendous and difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and all people, it's ingrained within us. It's in our brains, it's in our genes to want to have meaning in our lives. And so um, it doesn't really matter um, how much money you have or you don't have. You're, you're, you're going to want to pursue that. And I think you alluded to that when you said you, when you go to really poor places, you, you see that all over the place. So you, you see quite you see quite the opposite. Well, I've I've often wondered if if it's like us either a it, it's appealing to our um, uh, ability to go in inward, so we can just say you know and therefore not give to others because well they're just lazy anyway, right? After yeah. all, or or is it just some kind of Im- implicit tacit kind of racism actually on some level, right? Because yeah. well, they're over there, and we can't really see them. But boy, they're they're lazy. <laughs> I mean, that's a massive oversimplification and a sweeping generalization. Well, I don't think it actually is an oversimplification. <laughs> mm. I think the latter is very true. Is you know we're we're often fearful of the other. Right. So if we yeah. don't know the other, that we ascribe things to the other that are negative, and you know that supports us. In, in and it supports, yeah, buoys our spirits, right? But but it also provides us a sense of protection, right? You know that yep. you know uh, we're not going to be like that. That's right. Um, yeah. And and so sometimes we have to counter that, and racism is a really good example of that. We have to counter that sometimes. We have to um, remind ourselves from time to time that oh, you know, I've come across a cultural difference that's different that isn't better or worse. And in the, in the same way with poor people. I think we have to understand that very often poor people are more similar to everyone else in society mm. than they are different. Mm. And, and so we have to remind ourselves that this lazy stereotype is, is just that. It's a stereotype that we need to counter, and it's, it's very, very probable when you know, we come in front of a, a person who is, is poor or very poor um, that they have aspirations in life, that they want to pursue that. And when you're not allowed to pursue that or you can't do that, very often you get mental health issues sure. associated with yeah. that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, all, and that's it's all the root of, of very many mental health issues in some of these populations. Um, the Aboriginal communities talk about this an awful lot in terms of you, you know the, the change in their cultures have really stripped the meaning from their life. And as a result, you see some of the communities having problems with alcoholism and mental health issues right. and suicide and, and so on and so forth because, you know, they, they feel their meaning of life being totally eroded. So, so these problems are, are, are very, very real. So allowing people to pursue meaning in their life, I think, is a very, very do, good thing. Do you know what? Supporting that with the basic income is a good thing. It makes me wonder sometimes, you know, we talk about a level playing field, but I, but it seems to me that on a lot of levels, you know, from a human perspective anyway, the playing field is already level. It's just we don't see that too often, and it's our own pride and arrogance and sense of nationalism and, and all these things that get in the way of that. We're all in this well, together, right, aren't we? I mean, your comment about we, poor people are, are very similar to everyone. Else. We're, we're all just trying well, to get a good night's sleep, aren't we, Kelly? Really? Yeah, yes and no. We're all in this together. We are living all in one word. We're world and we're all one humanity but there is this thing called the lottery of birth mm. so where mm. you are born nice. and who you are born with yep. um, really makes a big difference in the world as to whether or not you can feed yourself 
So if you are in a lottery of birth and you're in a slum in in a, a developing country, that is very different than your lottery of birth um, in the east side of New York um, and in a, a very wealthy home. Um, I, I, I mean, I can't underline that more. And some of our policies in our country that um, reinforce that, you know, um, I, I'm quite alarmed about and worried about. Hmm. And, and those are things like the erosion of public education. Right. Um, we, we know that one of the things that helps people get out of um, that um, poverty cycle is to ensure that they have really good education. So when we move toward an increasingly private education system um, where people have huge tuition or huge loans at the end of it, um, where um, we we ensure that you know only people with money can get a good education, that really reinforces that that whole cycle of, of poverty in families. Uh, so, Kelly, so it's things like that that sure. policies can be different. So. Well, and Paul, and I think it's an indication too uh, how policies can um, um, can be different, but can also make a difference. Yeah, it's not just some sort of bureaucratic. Uh, um, tweak. No, it isn't a bureaucratic tweak. It actually has impact on people's lives in, in an awfully big way. So, uh, I mean, education is one thing. How much income you give people is um, an, another um, piece of that. So, um, one good thing that Canada has is a universal health care system. And, and um, we all understand now in Canada that there's no indignity from us using the public health service. Mm. In fact, you know, we, uh, if we go to an emergency, there's nothing undignified about going to use um, a public hospital. And in the same way, what we're arguing is there should be no indignity for us to receive um, a basic income mm. to ensure that we have the necessities of life. And, and if we all knew that we had universal access to that particular mm-hmm. program and that we could use it when we need it, in a proactive way, um, that um, I, I think that would move our society along um, quite substantially. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we know that we can eliminate poverty in this manner, um, and, and we know that we can afford it. Um, the studies that I have done uh, on this issue um, are... are fairly clear with respect to the economic data, we can afford to do this. Kelly, just before we go into that, because I really do want to pursue that um, a little bit about this whole, how the heck can we afford something like this? It sounds awfully expensive. Um, Can you tell me, um, from your perspective, the work you've done over the years, and uh, academically, and research, and and volunteer work, and so on, your consulting work. By the way, uh, Kelly has a company called um, uh, Strategic Intelligence Alliance, um, and uh, spends uh, his spare time helping uh, organizations uh, strategically fund development and monitoring and evaluation and so on. Check him out. He's on LinkedIn online. Um, how would you uh, define poverty? Or, you know, you use the phrase poor people. Uh, are we talking just about a financial distinction here, Kelly, or is, there, um, or is it a little more uh, comprehensive than that in your mind? Um, I think it's, a lot of people go beyond that and go beyond income um, and, you know, start talking about other things, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that you might be socially poor or right, right. so your social network is, is small and that type of thing. Um, 
I actually think that confuses the whole issue, hmm. and it actually brings in other variables that are indicators of other things. So, for example, if if you are, um, you know, you have a terribly small network, that might be not an indicator of poverty, but an indicator of mental health issues, for example. Um, or it may be an uh, indicator of um, physical issues, or it may be a whole host of other things. Um, I, I think it's better to leave poverty um, and define it an, on an economic basis. Um, and then once you do that, and then you solve the issue of poverty, then you can clearly identify what those other variables and issues are. So, so once you move it out of the way, then you go, oh, this person can't keep a job because of these reasons. So now we can focus on these reasons as well. But, if, 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 but right now we've, we're mixing everything together, and, and it really well, yeah. gets our mind off of you well, know, what, what is the issue about ensuring this person. Well, in a sense, you're almost saying, I mean, you're saying something to the effect of how the heck can we talk about sending a, a young boy or a girl to school anywhere in the world if they're, if they're dying of dysentery? You've got, yeah. to, you've got to deal with the very basic levels first before you, 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 you get to the, like you, as you said, the other variables. Yeah, you have to. You have to deal with that. So, so I get really upset with, for example, poverty reduction um, models and strategies that strip out income, hmm. um, and they, you know, move into, you know, dealing with all the symptoms of poverty and right. mental illnesses and health issues, and you know, giving all of these social services to people and so on and so forth. Nothing wrong in all of that, but it isn't a poverty reduction model. Um, and if that worked. This 9% floor of poverty that we seem to have had in the last 30 years in Canada of poverty, we would have cured. But it hasn't worked, and, and um, we have not been able to cure that 9%. Um, you mentioned my consulting practice. You know, one of the things I'm really interested in are outcome research or impact research. And if, if you actually look at impact research and outcome research on a, a macro level in Canada on poverty, we have been a dismal failure in the last 30 years. Hmm. We have not really attacked it. And the, I believe the reason that we have not attacked it is because we're, we've defocused our, our, our mind away from tackling the core issue. And the core issue is income. So if we tackled income, a lot of these problems would, would go away. Um, and and you would actually see that um, people's lives would would actually change in a really substantive way. There, there, are, there are two places in Canada where, where we have made an impact with income. And one is called the, the guaranteed income supplement that seniors receive. A lot of people argue it's not enough, but if you look at the data, what it did for seniors was it actually got a huge cohort out of of seniors out of poverty. So it really changed people's lives. Um, and in fact, it's looked internationally as a model. Canada's looked at a model for this particular program to say, how, you know, how can we do this in other programs or other countries other, right. to, to eliminate poverty? In that same way, we need to pay attention to that data because that data actually shows that income actually has a substantive income, impact on people's lives. So if we have a basic income for the rest of Canadians, 
you would see poverty be eliminated in Canada. And it wouldn't eliminate all the problems that Canada has, social and health and, and, and other problems. But what it would allow us to do is then direct our attention to those issues specifically to solve those particular issues. Um, but but I don't think it's wise to mush them all together and and ignore income because we're fearful it might cost too much money. So, so, so let's start with that assumption that income, you know, basic income is the core issue. And I, it sounds, sounds, sounds right to me. Um, tell me how we're going to afford it now. My, first of all, I, I think we can afford it. So, um, there's a number of different ways that we can do it. Um, let me tell you the fear first and then I'll yeah, go to the please. Solution. Yeah, good. Okay? good. So the yeah. fear first, and this is where people make the assumption that we're just going to give a grant to everybody for, say, $20,000, and it's going to cost the 35 million Canadians, you know, the $700 billion to put into place. And, and that's where people go, well, we can't possibly afford this. That isn't the idea. Um, I... I I understand that we economically can't afford that. So uh, that's three times our federal budget, and I just can't see it. Um, however, if you look at it differently, if you look at the idea that 88 to 90% of people already have the equivalent of a basic income or are living in a household with that equivalent, so they don't have to worry. So, so now we're only talking about sort of the bottom end. Okay? Right, right. So, so, it, so that reduces the amount that you, you have to top people's income up substantially. Um, now, there's questions as to how to do that and who to give the money to and so on and so forth. Right. One of the ways to do that might be if you did it through the tax system, as Hugh Siegel has suggested, um, the people that file taxes would get a refund up to a minimum level, okay? We know that 1.75 million Canadians filed taxes in 2012 below $20,000. So if you took those 1.75 million Canadians and you topped them up to to that uh, minimum $18,000 to uh, $20,000 per person, what we know is it would cost as little as $11 billion and maybe as much as $14 billion for that particular group of people. That within affordability of our budget, if, if we um, look at the priorities of our spending and so on and so forth. Uh, all of us can probably identify other programs in the past 10 years that have been far beyond right. $11 billion. And in fact, we're now moving into surplus territory in our federal government, where by 2020, some of the projections of the federal government um, are, are the surplus is going to be 10 to $15 billion. That's more than paying for the amount that we need to get everyone in Canada out of poverty. So, 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 so that's why I'm saying, if you look at the data and you look at it differently and yeah. you use different criteria to actually make sure that everybody has you know, universal access to a basic income, um, 
and not just willy-nilly, you know, um, um, go off and, and, and use stereotypes. That, that it actually is very affordable. Well, and I think, well, it, I mean, it seems to me that people are going to right out of the gate, 11 to $14 billion. Are you crazy? Like where, you know, where do you, I mean, we're talking about money that most of us can't even begin to imagine. Um, but it seems to me that, you know, your, your idea of looking at it from a different perspective, from coming at it from a different angle. I mean, what about, what about all the, the related costs to, to poverty, to the fact that 1.75 million Canadians are making yeah. below $20,000 a year? What well, about the health implications? What well, about if your audience can't get your mind around um, $11 billion, <laughs> Here, here's another yeah. figure that you're really going to have problems with. <laughs> so, so the cost of maintaining people in poverty for health costs, security costs, for maintaining um, poor in jails, and so on and so forth, that cost in some estimates, is ninety to a hundred billion dollars annually. Wow, and that's just so, in so Canada. If, if in Canada alone, so that's federal and provincial costs, um, wow. and we pay for that every single year. So, so, so if you even reduce that by ten percent, you're now paying for that. Basic. You're paying for the basic income. It's fabulous. I love it. So, so why the heck then is it so hard? to convince people uh, on, depending on what side of the fence you're on, to say, can you not come over here and just peel back a layer or two and see this in a little bit of a different way? Because people are talking about stereotypes all the yeah, time, and yeah. they're not talking about actual data. So, so, so they're not actually looking for the evidence. They're not actually examining the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're talking um, you know, about their ideologies, or they're talking about their... Um, what they think the poor might be, and so on and so forth. And, and that's kind of the challenge, is what I would encourage people to do is, is you know, talk about it in an evidence kind of based way, and, and you'll see that actually it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, former Senator Hugh Siegel, I mean, has been a real champion in, in pushing it in that manner. Um, another senator that's been doing that is Art Eagleton. And, and, you know, both of them, you know, pay attention when they speak about this issue because I know that they have done their homework. They have gone back to, you know, look at various pieces of evidence and ensure that they're saying nothing that they can't substantiate. Do I mean, this, this we, for them isn't ideology. Do you, do you find that... Um, what the, the thing that just sort of bubbled to the surface here for me was, so now we're talking about numbers. Yeah. And yes, you know, and one of the really revealing things for me as a development worker years ago when I was learning results-based management principles and language and how to write a log frame and so on, very dull, stultifying work. But for me, I had a revelation on the drive home from a class 12, 13 years ago, and I said, holy cow, this one that we're working on, there's 383 boys and girls at the end of this project that are going to actually get an education if this works. Think yeah. of the implications of the families and the lives that are going to be impacted. It was $173,000 uh, $173, proposal going to CETA, the, um, which is now DFAT-D in, in Canada. But it was up until that point, I was, I was angry about this work that I was doing. Right? Yeah. Oh, these are numbers. These are boxes. But once I had that, 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 that relational uh, connection, these are real human beings. 
Is there a danger that when you start talking about numbers like this, oh, folks, it's only going to cost us 11 to 14, but that, that we push out that narrative side of, of the story behind basic income? Because I think that's kind of one of the strengths of it. But at the same time, in order to get the more conservative fiscal, fiscal folk on board, you do have to talk about numbers. So, so you got a, I guess you got a bit of a challenge there, don't you? It's a real challenge because you're right. The you know the fiscal conservatives. That's all they want to hear is the tell me. Bottom line, Kelly, much, give me the bottom line, right? Get, tell me how much this is going to cost yeah. and where you're going to get the money. That's from. right. That's and, right. Show and, me the flow chart. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. and so you know we have to do that. Um, you know, and I have to be articulate in that. Yeah. So hope I have been uh, to a certain degree today. On on the other side of the spectrum, you have the people that they couldn't care less about That's numbers right. and they don't understand them, mm-hmm. um, but they they want to hear that story, and and so you have to have both. Um, and and yes, there's lots and lots of stories that I can tell, and you know other people can do it far better than me. Um, but you have to understand that the impact that a program like this will have is on both ends. So it is. Um, impactful in reducing that um, cost of poverty, but it's also impactful for that that child in the school who go used to go there um, without um, a breakfast, who now can go there with a breakfast and pay attention all day because he's not worried about his or her um, stomach crumbling um, and can concentrate. I, I, I mean, there's both ends of that, right? But but I think the public needs to understand that there's a not a dotted line, but a solid straight line between that child and that school, and that policy of giving people uh, a basic income. Right. Right. So, so the, the two are yes, very different, but they're really really very connected. Very connected. We got to wrap up in a few minutes here, but before we do that, I'd like to lean on a little bit of your consulting experience and, and, and some of the work that you've done over the years. You know, you talk about impact measurement and so on, and there seems yeah. to be more of a trend towards uh, donors saying, hey, we want results. We don't want to yeah. just know about, you know, um, how many wells we drilled or how much food we gave away, but we want to know about impact. What's that actually meaning at the, uh, you know, at the end of the three-year project or the one year or whatever the case might be? So I guess my question to you is, are, are we making a difference? Are we actually having a greater impact today than we were 5, 10, 15, or 20 years ago? Um, in, in other words, are, I guess, are there, are there more reasons to get involved, Kelly? You know? Um, um, yes. We, in some, I, I guess the way I would answer that is um, where are we having an impact um, by what method and when? Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, you got to really dig into it. Sure. So it isn't, you can't really carte blanche say, are we having an impact? I think too, we have to recognize that in some areas we're not. Right. And that, right. that, yep. that tells us an awful lot of information as well. And we, we need to be not just seeking out the information that's so good, but we also need to be um, courageous enough to say where are we not having where, an impact. Right. So, and poverty is one area where we're really not having an impact in Canada, for example, um, in a substantive way. And, and we need to pay attention to that. Mm. Um, to, and if we don't, it's to our peril. Um, and there's a lot of international kind of things going on that people have scratched their head and said, hmm, I guess we're not having an impact with the way that we're doing it now. 
we need to do it in a different way. And and this, that that is where you know micro loans came from in in a large degree. Mm-hmm. Is you know people were understanding that you know throwing money at government didn't really have the impact that they wanted to see, but giving people money with in in terms of micro loans had a far far greater impact um, on on people's lives. And, and so of course the the micro loan movement really really took off when you you learned that um you know i i point to you know areas of um rule of law and corruption as well mm-hmm. i mean um in my previous one of my previous positions you know we studied this and and looked looked at people's writings about the rule of law so you know a lot of international development aid has gone to ensuring that you know democratic uh, ideals are instilled in countries, and the institutions of the countries are are being um, uh, adopted that are you know associated with what we would call democracy. Right. And 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 a lot of people have scratched their head and said, "Ooh, we've really been a failure at this. Right. It's not worked out well. It's you know done things like caused wars and um, you know uh, created you know horrible results in, in some scenarios, or just." you know, create a lot of corruption. So, so, I mean, these are examples where pay attention to what works, but pay attention to what doesn't work, too, and and assess both, um, and don't be afraid to receive data from both, because I think if, if you're afraid to receive the data from both, we can't improve. So, so um, we can't know what's working really, really well. So, um, um I mean, that's part of the reason that so, you I, know, appro- approach what we do with a bit of humility. Yeah, you know, yes, we might be able to get things uh, sorted out here in, in a particular way, but you know what, there are lessons to be learned and let's not be afraid of them. I mean, it seems that uh, so many folks involved in this type of work are afraid of those mistakes or are afraid of those, uh, I guess you could almost say negative lessons learned because it could affect their funding ultimately. And so it's almost like we have to re-educate donors as well. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I believe we do. And, and, you know, part of the reason I, I'm enjoying being involved with the Basic Income Canada Network is, you know, I can follow up on research and say, we know that giving money to people actually works. Right. So, so let's do this. Yeah, right, um, right. And, and throwing money at a, a broad range of services to try to address people's symptoms around poverty very often doesn't work. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, let's get honest and real about the idea. If you want to actually eliminate poverty, let's talk about income. And let's, let's get honest about income. Um, let's, you know, let's not get sidetracked by um, always going to, you know, the, the service model where we're going to gatekeep services um, and little pockets of income to people to, you know, try to... Um, push them along, um, you know, let, let's actually get honest about what people need. Kelly, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk about this pretty very important issue. Um, uh, Kelly is the Secretary General or maybe the Acting Executive Director of the Basic Income Network. That's bncanada.ca, B-I-E-N, 
www.canada.ca. Basic Income Network um, uh, provides information on basic income, promotes the idea, and educates the public and policymakers about ways to support a basic income. Check out their website, sign up for their newsletter. There are ways to get involved and stay actively um, up to date on, on current affairs. I'm going to end with a quote from an article that Kelly and a guy by the name of Rob uh, Rayner wrote for the Toronto Star a few months back. Quote, Canadians must ask um, uh, uh, which politicians have the courage to eliminate the cost of poverty by implementing a universal basic income guarantee, not ditching good ideas before examining them with solid evidence. Close quote. Our guest today has been Kelly Ernst um, from Basic Income Canada. Thanks again, Kelly. Uh, for joining Thank you so much. Thank you.